Parshas Pekudei. The greatest day in the history of the world had finally arrived. On the first day of Nisan, the dwelling place for Hashem was established and the presence of Hashem would now rest among His chosen people. The Mishkan was now going to be the place for the revelation of Hashem in this world, the fulfillment of Hashem's promise. Veshachanti Biducham and I will dwell among them. And what was the first thing that Moshe did after spreading the roof over the Mishkan? He set up the Kodesh Kadoshim, the holiest space on the face of this earth, the room where the presence of Hashem would dwell most intensely. Although the Shekhinah was now going to dwell among the Bnei Yisrael, it would dwell even more intensely in the Mishkan. And where was the holiest place in the Mishkan? the place where Hashem chose to rest His presence with the most intensity, the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Now, if you would have asked me, what, what would I have set up in that room where Hashem would now reside? So with my little head, I would say, a throne, a big, beautiful, golden throne, something resplendent and ornate, placed in the middle of the Kodesh Kadoshim. And that would symbolize the Kisei covered, the place where Hashem rests His presence in this world. Nothing doing, said Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no, I have other plans for my room, for the Kodesh Kadoshim. Hashem commanded that into this holiest part of the Mishkan, the room that symbolized His place in this world, should be placed the two stone tablets engraved by the hand of Hashem. And afterward... The Torah itself was put alongside the Luchos. And that's what David HaMelech said in Tehillim. Hashem has settled among the Am Yisroel. And how did he do that? Because Har Sinai is now in the Mishkan. That great day of the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai is now found in the Kodesh Kadoshim. The sanctuary was the heart of the nation. And it was the world of Hashem the stone luchas and the Torah that were at the heart of the Mishkan. What we're learning here is that preparing a home for Hashem to live among us really meant preparing a home for the Torah to reside among us. And the Mishkan in its entirety was actually an altar of devotion to the word of Hashem. And so instead of a throne for Hashem to rest His presence on, the revelation of Hashem in this world came by means of His Torah. And the Am Yisrael in the Midbar lived according to that revelation. I'll explain that. Because really we have to ask ourselves, what were the Am Yisrael doing in the Midbar for 40 years after all? It was at least 2 million people in the Midbar. And they were there for 40 years. And it was 40 years without worries of Parnassah. They ate what fell from the clouds. They didn't have to go to the factory to get a paycheck. Did they plow their fields? No. There were no fields for them to plow. And not only were there no worries about Parnassah, but no enemies could touch them either. They were more secure during those 40 years than any subsequent time in history. So you'll say... Maybe they traveled. No, they only traveled together. Nobody went away to the country and nobody vacationed in Florida. They were home on Pesach and in the summertime too. 
Never again did we have such an ideal existence, so much time for leisure, as we'd had during the 40 years in the Midbar. Ah, leisure. So what did they do all day? What were they busy with for 40 years in the Midbar? Did they go to the theater? Maybe they played with a stick and a ball and tried to hit home runs. It's hard to imagine. 40 years of nothing to do. 40 years of vacation. And so we have to understand that for 40 years they had nothing to do except to study Torah. The entire nation actually became one big yeshiva. And it was a yeshiva where they studied day and night. They didn't have newspapers to read or radio to listen to. And even if they would have been able to get their hands on something, let's say a Ben Yisrael would try to pick up a newspaper from a neighboring tribe, from Midian. You couldn't get away with such a thing in the Machane Yisrael. You were in Koilel. And every Koilel has a Mashkiach. And this Koilel in the Midbar had more supervision than any Koilel since then. Every nine men had a Mashkiach who watched them. The Sar Asara. And so they had to behave. And every 49 men had a super mashkiach, the Sar Chamishim. Every 99 men had a super, super mashkiach, the Sar Me'ah. And every 999 had a super, super, super mashkiach. That was the Sar Alafim. You couldn't sneak anything past this army of mashkiachim. And Moshe Rabbeinu, with his watchful eye, was overseeing the whole thing. The whole yeshivas hamidbar. But the, mashgich, but the mashgichim didn't have a very difficult job because they were serious younger light in the yeshiva. They knew what their purpose was because they knew what was in the Kodesh Kadoshim. Never in any subsequent era was the Torah so supreme and so studied as under the 40-year 40, 40 rule of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah teacher par excellence. And you should speak in the words of Torah when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you arise. Devarim. Wasn't only a pasuk, a mitzvah, or even an aspiration to yearn for. It was their way of life. The sole occupation for the Dora Midbar was Torah study. The nation functioned like a huge yeshiva. What the Midbar was for the Am Yisrael was actually a 40-year koilel, a Torah academy. And it was that koilel that would define what the Am Yisrael would be forever. In the Midbar, we were transformed into Mamleches Kohanim, a nation of Torah learners. And that experience remained engraved for all time on the hearts of our people. And that explains for us a Gemara that has confounded many. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says that the word Sarid, left over, or the one who remains, refers to a Talmud Chacham. Now that's a puzzle. Why is a Talmud Chacham called a leftover? He's not the leftover. He's the main dish after all. There are various Peshatim. But the simple Peshat is that originally the whole Klal Yisrael were Chachamim. The entire Dor Hamidbar was a big koilel of Talmidei Chachamim. And therefore, anyone who studies the Torah today is a leftover from those days in the Midbar. Because it was then that the Am Yisrael in its entirety recognized the truth that the goal of every Jew is to be a Talmid Chacham. And from then on, 
The study of Torah became the national vocation and pastime. Never did the Am Yisrael in all of its subsequent history ever use their leisure time for anything else but Torah. There was no telling stories of adventure and war and no playing sports. There were no theaters or stadiums and no amusement parks either. And that's because we found everything we wanted and everything we needed in the study of Torah and in the raising of families to be Ohave Torah. The word entertainment doesn't exist in the lexicon of our people. Who needs the fleeting and empty joy of circuses, carnivals, sports, hunting, races, or any other pastime when we find all of our fulfillment by means of the luchas in the Torah? And that's what Rav Sadia Gaon meant when he said in Sefer Amunas Vedeus that we, are a, that we are a nation only as a Torah nation. It means the following. We have no right to exist. We should have long ago disappeared. Where is Edom? They disappeared. Where is Ammon? They disappeared. It's all gone. Where is ancient Mitzrayim? All gone. Ancient Greece is all gone. Everything is underground. You're going to need a lot of shovels and you'll have to sweat a lot before you can see all the ancient nations of the world. So why are we still here? We're also one of the ancient nations. So why didn't we also disappear along with the others? And the answer is that we are only here because of the Torah. The Frum Jews study the Torah in its most minute details. And that's why there is still an Am Yisrael. And that's Ein um, en Omtenu Uma Elabatoira. We are a Torah nation, and that's the cause of our existence. Mitzvahs, wonderful, wonderful. But it's the study of Torah that defines the Am Yisrael. It's our life breath, our way of life. We are a nation of Torah, Torah learners, and that's why we are here forever. Hashem is forever, His Torah is forever. And we who study his Torah will be forever. And that explains something queer that we notice when we study our history. You know that in Bavel, there were great mesiftas, great yeshivas, where the Chachamim gathered to study and to teach. There was a mesifta in Sura where Rav was. And there was another mesifta in Nahardea, where Shmuel lived. Two big mesiftas that were the center of the Am Yisrael. And there were other Mesiftas too that functioned in Bavel. But the Mesifta wasn't a place where you, just, where you just learned Torah and heard Shi'urim. It was a very interesting experience, the Mesifta. Everything was done with the procedure. They used to march into the base Medrash in the beginning of the session. The Chachamim marched in first, and then the Talmidim marched in behind them. And everyone took his place. Each one of the Chachamim had his particular place. And there were designated people who would make the announcement. The Chachamim are coming in now. They're entering into the Masifta. It was mamish like a pageant. That's how they opened up the Masifta. And not only in the beginning of the Zman. Every day was like that. It was done with a certain panoply. Panoply, like a royal tribunal with certain procedures, formalities, and announcements, like in the Congress Lahavdil or in a king's palace, it was done with the greatest kind of ceremony. And we should ask ourselves, what was this for? 
Why all the fanfare? Why couldn't they just get busy with learning already? Isn't that what they came for? It wasn't the State of the Union address after all. It was a yeshiva. And they didn't do this once a year. It was every day. And the answer is that this pomp and the ceremony was vital for an understanding of the place of the Torah in the Am Yisrael, in the Midbar, where they all saw the Mishkan, and they all knew the hidden, that hidden inside, in the room that Hashem chose to reside in, was the Luchas of the Torah. So the entire nation lived with a tangible understanding that it was the study of the Torah that was the core function of our people. Everybody was learning in Koilel. And there was no question in anyone's mind that Limud Torah was the function of our people. But in order to keep that fire of Kavara Torah alive forever and to understand the centrality of the Torah to our nation, the nation had to see with their own eyes the glory of Torah. And so the Mesifta functioned with the prominence it deserved. And the Am Yisrael learned that the aristocracy of our people were the ones who were studying the Torah Hashem the Torah Hashem, in the base Medrash. And in Bavel, they also establish the Yarche Kala together with the Mesifta. Twice a year, there was a Yarche Kala, a Kiddush Hashem, of remarkable proportions. You know, there were almost all farmers in Bavel. So when the farming session was over, two months a year, tens of thousands of people came to the Mesifta. The town was overflowing with Jews. They slept on the streets, on the roofs and in cellars, and they were learning all the time. The entire month, they were learning Torah. And the Chachamiyah Torah were there to test them, to see if they knew it. If they had kashas, they asked the kashas. Everybody was learning the same thing. It was a scene to behold. They were all learning the same Mesechta, and the Chachamim farhered them. And it wasn't little children we're talking about. These were adults. Men in their 40s and 50s, older than that too. Men with families. From where did this fire of dedication to Torah come? How could a nation of so many different personalities, workers, wise men, simple folk, intellectuals, rich and poor alike, all humbly submit themselves before the Chachamea Torah? And the answer is that it wasn't something that began in Bavel. It was already engraved in our souls from the Dor HaMidbar. The same way the Dora Midbar submitted themselves before Moshe Rabbeinu, the Am Yisrael continued that practice always. And therefore, there was always a tremendous outpouring of Torah learning, a tremendous demonstration that Torah is everything for Am Yisrael. In the days of old, the fire of Torah burned hot because they were emulating the Dora Midbar, when Hashem had taught the nation that in the center of the Machaneh, the focal point of the people, was the Luchos and the Torah. And that fire continued to burn on forever in the Am Yisroel. We live with, with, Sina, with Sinai and Bavel from now on. Our life is Bavel. Nerdeha, Maaseh, Machesia, Pompadisa, all the towns of Bavel are our learning today. We're at Har Sinai forever because we live with the Luchos and with the Talmud Bavli forever and ever. All of the yeshivas in our history in Eretz Yisrael, in Babel, Spain, North Africa, Europe and America are all merely echoes of the great yeshivas Hamidbar. 
we are always a nation of Torah learners. Once upon a time, Jewish men didn't stay home at night, and they weren't at the movies either. They were in the study halls, in the shuls. Of course, the ladies were home. They were raising the children who, as soon as they could toddle, would make their way to the study halls because that's what mattered. And when fathers and sons would return home at night from the base medrash, they would bring all their baggage of Toyota with them. Mothers and sisters would hear nothing but Toyota, and therefore the Jewish streets used to be a street of Toyota. Even an enemy of, Toyota, of the Toyota, I won't honor him by saying his name here, but when describing Krakow in the times of the Ramah, he said that the children in the street babbled Toyota. And the truth is that it wasn't only Krakow. That's how it was in every Jewish community. Every town was a yeshiva town. I remember when I was a little boy in Baltimore. When the new immigrants arrived, they used to laugh when they saw that the shuls were locked during the day. Locked? Would you lock the Mishkan? Aren't there people learning all day in the shuls? And it wasn't the Talmidei Chachamim who laughed. It was the peddler, the poor working man trying to eke out a living. It was something impossible to them. Because in Europe, even a hundred years ago, they were still emulating the Dor Hamidbar and still learning the lessons of the Mishkan. Some were there all day. Some would come in for an hour here and there. But to close the shul? Even in Baltimore, the fire still burned. There was a shul in Baltimore's east side, the Lloyd's Street Shul. When I was maybe 14 years old, I used to sit and learn in the shul, in that shul, in the evenings. There were about 10 tables there, and around each one people gathered to learn according to their level. They were poor European Jews, most of them with long beards and kashetlach. Kashketlach. They made their living on a very poor level, but they admired the Torah learners, and they themselves made sure to be from the Torah learners. There were tables and tables, and each one was full of Jews sitting and learning separate subjects according to their level. Each table had a Rebbe, and at one table they were learning Gemara with Tosfos. One table over there, over, one table over they were studying Gemara without Tosfos. There was a Shulchan Aruch table and a Chumash table with Al-Sheikh table. It was a scene out of Europe and out of Bavel. And actually it was a scene out of the Yeshivas Hamidbar encamped around the Torah in the Kodesh Kadosh. No seats available in the shul. When I was in Lithuania, I once visited a shul in a small town. And an old, and an old Malamed, a remnant from the old generation said to me, before World War I, there was a time when if you came a little bit late to this shul on Thursday night, you couldn't find a seat. It was filled with people learning late into the night. Every night the shul was filled with people learning. He showed me a copy of the Teshuvah's Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva Eger that belonged to the shuls, to the shul. The pages were very worn out from use. They were loose and all the margins were so thumbed that they were falling apart. I was a bit surprised. After all, the Teshuvah of Rabbi Akiva Eger is not a siddur that people use every day. So I asked this old teacher, how could this happen? Who wore this out? It's not a siddur. So the Malamed told me that the Sefer had been used every night by a regular working boy. 
Every night a working boy who lived here came to the shul, and this was his favorite sefer. He wore it out from learning. In Slabatka, a bacher whom I learned with, Bechavruso, once told me that in Beers, his hometown in Lithuania, there used to be a chevra mishmarim. This was a group of people who were peddlers all week. It was their bitter lot in life to put a pack of merchandise on their backs and trudge through the Gentile hamlets and villages to peddle merchandise among non-Jews. Now in those days, a Jew still looked like a Jew. So the Gentiles would set their dogs on the Jews as they passed through the towns. It was a hard life, a wearisome week of work. And they finally came home to their families for Shabbos on a Thursday or Friday. And where did they go when they got home? They gathered in the shul and beers. Where would, where would spend, where they would spend all Thursday night learning to make up for the time they missed during the week? That was the Chevra Mishmorim. And as a young man in New York, even before I went to Slobodka, I saw echoes of those great days. I once tried spending the whole night learning in Hasidic Sheshtibel on the Lower East Side on Montgomery Street. I tried staying awake, but I kept dozing over the Gemara. But I couldn't sleep anyhow because the Polish Hasidim started coming in while it was still dark. They put on their gartels, took down their Gemaras, and started learning before the morning came. Early in the morning, when it was still dark, the shtibel was packed with Jews, sitting and learning. And in the garish shtibel, I used to watch a Litvish Jew standing and learning Mishnayas by heart all night. Once in a while, he would look into the open Mishnah to refresh his memory. That's a remnant of the older generation. Once upon a time, the Jewish nation studied Torah. There are two Pesukim in Mishlei. One says, All of the things that you desire cannot equal the Torah. All the things that people love in this world, people love wealth, they love honor, they love food and all types of pleasure. It's nothing compared to the Torah. Everybody desires things in this world. All good things, health and happiness, nachas, long years and wealth. But nothing compares to the word of the Torah. But there's another pasuk. Here, it doesn't say the chafetz, the, the, the chafetzcha, your desires. It says chafetzim, all desirable things. Even the things that Hashem desires cannot compare to the Torah. What does that mean? It means that even all the mitzvahs of the Torah cannot compare to the mitzvah of studying Torah. Moid katan. Of course, if you have to do a mitzvah and there's no one else who can do it, you have to stop learning and do the mitzvah. But the mitzvahs of the Torah are not as great a privilege as the one mitzvah of studying Torah. All the things that you consider important and even all the things that Hashem considers important, all the mitzvahs, they don't equal one thing of the Torah. One line of Torah is more important than all the mitzvahs put together. How can that be? It's astonishing. All the mitzvahs together, tefillin, mezuzah, sitzis, matzah, korban, pesach, all the obligations of the Torah cannot compare to one thing of the Torah. 
You sit down, open a Gemara, and learn one line. It's such a tremendous happiness, such a great achievement that eclipses. It, it far outdoes all the good things together. If you can open the Gemara for one line, you should know what you're doing for yourself in this world. I'm not saying you're a Talmud Chacham already. That takes work after all. But you're already joining the aristocracy of the Am Yisrael. You're emulating the upper class, the elite of our nation. You're becoming a Torah Jew because that's the function of a Jew in this world. You know, it has become the style today to travel. People are busy traveling, going, doing, visiting, and there's no time left for the most important function of our lives. Even to edit Israel, people are traveling back and forth, back and forth. For what? Who needs you there? You have time to travel, but not to sit in the koilel on Sundays? At least on Sunday, you can enter the Kodesh Kadoshim. You know, someone asked me recently if it's okay for him to give up on some of his Torah learning in the evening in order to work a little extra so that he could save up money for a trip to Eretz Yisrael. No, absolutely not, I told him. What is the purpose of Eretz Yisrael? It's only for you to make something of yourself. You're going to give up learning even one line of Gemara for travel? Kol chafetzim. Lo Yishvuba. If you want to go to the Koisel Maravi, then you should know that the Shas Bavli is your Koisel Maravi. Make this a forum shrank with the Shas Bavli in it. Your Koisel Maravi. That's your success. The success of life is transferring the contents of the Shas into your mind. So stand in front of that big Shas on the shelves. And make that your Koisil Maravi. You want to give that up to travel thousands of miles to Eretz Yisroel? If you want to, you can put Kvitlach prayer notes in between the Gemaras on your shelf and pray to Hashem for success in becoming a Shas Yid. The Shas is our everything. That's why the Luchas were the centerpiece of the Mishkan, because that's everything. Since the Churban Beis HaMikdash, when the Kodesh Kadoshim and the Luchos went lost, went lost, there's nothing more important to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than the Arba Amos Shel Halacha. There's nothing in the world more Kadosh, more special to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than the study of his Torah. You must have Sepharim in your home and they should be your pride. It's very important. Even if you don't have the competition of television set. Nevertheless, if you live within four walls without those important companions that every Jew must have, then you're not going to utilize your life. Every young couple that begins to feather its nest after marriage should have an ambition to line the walls of their home with bookshelves of Sephardim. That should be your dream house. If your wife wants drapes, okay, nothing wrong with drapes. You can buy her drapes at the five and ten too. Explain to her. First, you'll have to explain it to, her, to yourself. The beauty of a home where the walls are covered with shelves of Sephardim. And even if you'll dip into the Sefer only once in your lifetime, you bought a Sefer and it cost you sometimes $20 and you used it only once, it was worth it. It was a bargain. Sometimes you get a lift, get some inspiration from one line and there's no price you could put on it. So in case your wife tells you, look, Chaim, 
you use this safer only once, or maybe you never used it at all. So why did we spend so much money on this farm? So tell her, Chanale, wait, if I'll ever look into it once, it's going to be worth everything that we paid for it. And the truth is that even if you never looked inside it, it was worth it. Because just to have Sepharim lining the walls of your house, it's a demonstration of where your heart is. It should be the showcase of pride in your home. I always say that even if you're never going to open it, it's worth all the money in the world to have a big shas. Buy the biggest one you can find and display it in your home. The shas, the Sepharim, should be a place in the most prominent place, should be placed in the most prominent place in the home. When you walk into a Jewish home, it shouldn't be the chandelier or the curtains that you see. It should be a big shas. Shelves and shelves of sefarim should be showcased in your living room. The sefarim shrank, and that's the glory of our nation. That's what makes your house into a mishkan. Once, a bucker who was leaving Brooklyn to go learn in an out-of-town yeshiva came to say goodbye to Rav Miller. He told the bucker that he should view everything in his new yeshiva as literally Kodesh Kadoshim. He added, that's how I perceived things when I was in Slobodka. Every brick, every square inch of even the physical structure was, in my eyes, the holiest thing in the world. That attitude Rav Miller told his Talmidim, his Talmud, is necessary in order to get the most benefit out of the yeshiva. Rav Miller his life and his revolution. Page 81. And if the loyal Jewish home with Sephardim line shelves in the Mishkan, then the base Medrash, the Yeshiva, is the Kodesh Kadosh. The atmosphere in the base Medrash is Mamish Kodesh Kadosh. I can tell you, I've been in the atmosphere for so many years. It has an effect on you. No matter how good you are, you become improved by breathing that air. You have to realize that the Hilatub Kal Chasidim, the praise of Hashem, is when there is a great number of Chasidim coming together to Hilim. Just that alone, when the Chasidim come together as a Kahal, that itself is a Tehillah Hashem. What are they all gathered in the base Medrash for? They're all there for the purpose of demonstrating that learning Torah is important. Every day the base Medrash is full of demonstrators. Some are demonstrating by learning Gemara. Some are demonstrating by learning Mishnayis. Some are demonstrating by just sitting there. But they are all demonstrating that learning Torah is the foundation of the Am Yisrael. Do you realize what that demonstration means? Walk out on the street and what do you see? Even a firm street. Money is important. Food is important. Clothing is important. Who knows what else is important? So the base Medrash is Mamish a Noach's Teva, Teva, especially today. Boys get married when they're young, 20 maybe, 21, 22. You can't go out into the world yet. A boy of 22 is very raw material. He's not capable of dealing with the world. He has to be in Kodil for some time, for years and years. Even if he's not so serious about learning, it's the best place for him to be. It's a Yeshua for our nation because Limud HaToyda is our salvation. I was once walking on Eastern Parkway and a man with a big beard approaches me. Rabbi Miller, he calls out. Who are you? I asked him. 
And he tells me his name. Woo! He was in the yeshiva with me years before. He was a nobody. Mamish. Aloklum. It seemed hopeless. And now he has a big beard. A frum Jew. And his grandchildren are learning in Yerushalayim. He tells me. That's a result of the base medrash. I can tell you stories like that without end. Again and again. Therefore, we have to support. We have to feel a debt of gratitude to the yeshivas. They're bringing forth every day, every day, the future Toyota families of Am Yisrael. And only because the environment is so good. Torah Vadas, Chaim Berlin, Mir Yeshiva, Lakewood, other places too. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give all of them Hatzlocha and a lot of money. And the yeshiva light should have long lives and their wives and their families. It's a tremendous thing that they're doing. The yeshivas are doing a tremendous thing. You don't realize the sanity we are getting from those yeshivas. The outside world is a Meshuggah house. It's crazy outside. And it's those who are in the yeshivas, the ones learning Torah, they are the sane ones. Now, of course, even once you leave the yeshiva and you become involved in business, you can remain sane. But it will require a great deal of cooperation from your wife, as well as a certain amount of heroism and dedication on your part. I'll give you an example. Now listen carefully, because it means you, and it means me too. We have people who come here Friday night. They come here about 7, 7.30, and they sit here learning till almost 11.30 at night. They're working people, professionals. They sit here in the shul for four hours on Friday night, some a little less. That's the program for dedicated men with dedicated wives. The women, of course, have to understand that in order that it should work. But the better ones want it, and they encourage their husbands. On Moitzei Shabbos, we have the same thing again. People come here until late, until after 11 o'clock, and learn here in groups and as individuals. It's a great phenomenon here in Brooklyn. On Shabbos afternoon, people come to study here. And in the longer days, they study all day, all day long Shabbos afternoon. And some people study all day Sunday. There are about four shiurim on Sunday here and people attend all of them. And then they sit until late and they study Torah. Now that's an example how a person can continue to be a yeshiva man even after he leaves the yeshiva. And in ancient times, that was the Jewish way of life. A yeshiva man who leaves the koilel and he begins a life of productivity and gashmias must make sure that he remains dedicated to Torah learning as well. Now a man like this, he can't afford the luxury of wasting all those odd hours. A yeshiva man, whether he's still in the yeshiva or not, has to get up Shabbos morning early to learn. He has, to be, he has to spend Shabbos studying. Shabbos night, he can't go out to Malava Malkas with the family. He can't visit Uncle Yoisi on Sundays. He can't go to every wedding. And he can't stay late at the ones he goes to. I recall once, it was a Malava Malka in the old building. And I said over from the Rambam, Chilchus Tam Toireh. Bakarta, Bakatra, Shel Torah. Anyone who wants to earn the crown of Torah, he shouldn't waste even one of his nights. You have to work by day. What could you do already? 
but you shouldn't waste even one of your nights. You hear that? The Rambam says that you shouldn't even waste one of your nights. And there was a man who was sitting there and he heard that. I saw that it went into his ears and it changed his way of life. He became great subsequently. He was a working man he became, and he became great in Toyota. I remember once his wife had to attend a wedding in the Riverside Plaza uptown. But that night was a shiur. So he took his wife by car to Riverside Plaza and left her there. And he came back here to attend the shiur. Then he went all the way back to the hall to bring her home. That's dedication. And so if you won't waste any of your nights, you'll be able to remain a yeshiva man forever. Forget, forget about going to weddings. Forget about family parties. Now you're wedded to the Toyota. Now, of course, some women will say, what kind of life is that? What kind of life is a koila life? My husband is a businessman, not a koila man. I'll tell you, it's a dedicated life. It's a life dedicated to success. If you want to be a nothing, so you do what everybody else does and you'll succeed in becoming what you want to become. Nothing. But if you have some idealism, if the fire still burns in you, then this is the career of success for you in this world. Now you'll ask me about the women. How do women do that? Women encourage their husbands to learn Torah. They say, Chaim, go to the shiur. Chaim, go to the yeshiva. They encourage them to go. So they have a full partnership in all the Torah of their men. And that's going to be their great happiness. That's what the Jewish nation once did. In Europe of long ago, every shul used to be a place where people sat and learned. Some men worked part of the day, but others were forced by their wives to go and learn all day long. Their wives ran little businesses. They managed the family and their husbands were expected to do nothing but learn for their entire lives. In Europe before World War I, there were a lot of Jews who moved into the shul in the morning, and they didn't move out till late at night. There was a whole population like that all over Eastern Europe. It stopped with World War I. It began to disintegrate little by little. But way back, throughout our history, all the shuls had a big populace of learners. Many men were driven away to the shuls by their wives. These dedicated women, the Nashim Sitkanios, said, don't work. You sit and learn and I'll take care of the Parnassa. All over Eastern Europe, it was a frequent thing. Even when I came to Europe in 1932, when it was already ruined, I saw it. The wife stood in the store and her husband sat in the base medrash. The Zichron Yaakov tells us that when Friday night came, this was before the people spoiled. So all the townspeople slept until around Chatzot. Then... They started getting up to study Torah. He even described how there were a lot of Jews who weren't capable of studying Torah. So a paid Rebbe would come to their homes late Friday night or early Shabbos morning. A man would learn with his Rebbe while his wife was still in bed behind the curtain and she was shepping Nachas from her husband's learning. To take the little money they had and use it for learning was a great sacrifice that the wife made. But she was encouraging him and was happy with what he was doing. And therefore, if the wife cooperates, and she doesn't demand that her husband's presence at home, her husband's presence at home, if she understands it's her success as well, that it's her partnership, that woman is from Nashim Tzitkanius, 
that always preserved our nation. And the fact that he is making progress, that he's forging ahead in learning, that's Herzichus. She is a full partner in all of his Torah. Not a 50% partner, a 100% partner. And not only is she learning Shas along with him, but she's raising Shasim at home. Every child that a mother raises is like finishing Shas many times. So she's at home learning her Shas and she's encouraging him to finish his Shas in the base Medrash. And with such a great partner in life, he can forge ahead as long as he's not lazy and he's willing to carry the brunt of a career of study. And that's what the Jewish nation once did. And that's an ideal which many people are beginning to realize today. Right now in Gan Eden, all the men and women are enjoying the great splendor of eternal happiness because of their portion in Torah. In addition to all the good things that they do, you're all invited to go to Oilam Haba. All those who pass away, even a Pashti Yehudi, is basking in happiness in the world to come. But those people who spend some time learning Torah are far far more privileged beyond all of the rest of them. So here's a man who asks me, how could someone even begin to learn when there's so much to learn? It looks so impossible. But you have to know that those are the words of the Yetzir Hara talking. When it comes to making money, you don't say, why should I bother to start making money when there's so much money to make? No, you don't say that. You start selling peanuts on the street corner. You hustle. You try to do whatever you can, and little by little, you accomplish. So you see the whole Talmud Bavli, and you say, oh, I can't do that, it's too much. So what about it? That's a tadits. It's a very silly excuse. Start hustling. Learning one line of, learn one line of Gemara. You mean to say you're going to leave this world and you won't be able to say that you learned one line of Gemara? You can't learn one line? Are you such a dumbhead? And somebody to help, ask somebody to help you. Say it over inside 10 times, 50 times. You know, when you go to the next world, they'll say, how fortunate you are if you arrived to here and you have Talmud in your hand. They'll ask you, you have any Gemara? I have one line, you'll say. One line? Fine. Let's hear it. But to not even have one line. You didn't come here with some Torah in your hand. What were you doing down there for 70, 80 years? Oh, I was saying Chumash. I was praying every day. And Hashem will say, I'm very sorry, so very sorry. You had no time to learn one line of my Torah HaKadosha, my Talmud Bavli. Now the truth is, you could learn more than one line. If you would learn one line a week, you know that in 10 years, you'd know something. One line a week, and you'd review it constantly. One line a week. Who couldn't do that? And so, there won't be any excuse to give on that great day when the question will be asked. Did you engage in the study of my Torah? Everybody must study the Gemara. And it's not hard. It's difficult to learn a lot of Gemara. The whole shots. But one line? You can't learn one line? In Shemaim, they'll ask you, Who was Rav Huna? Rav Huna. I think he lived in our neighborhood. There are people like that. They think that Rav Huna was maybe the Rav of the other shul in their neighborhood. No. 
We have to recognize our Tanaim and our Amoraim. Not just recognize them, but to love the names in the Gemara. You should love the sound of Abai and Rava, of Rapapa, Rav Huna, Breidrav, Yoshua. All of our great men love their names. The taste of their names should be on our tongues sweeter than honey, because that is the honey of the Am Yisrael. And therefore, we are not impressed by the fact that there's so much to learn. Certainly, we are impressed, but we aren't overwhelmed. It says, Lo It's not your job to learn the whole Shas. If you can, learn it, but at least learn a piece of it. You mean to say that you're going to leave here and you'll forget about what you heard here? About the great ideals of Torah learning? You're not going to learn Gemara because it's so much, so vast of a wisdom? No, you have to learn at least one line and make it your business to repeat that line again and again and again. You have to learn. Otherwise, the language of the Torah is meaningless to you. All the ideals and all the halachas are vague. You go through the motions of being a from Jew, but it's all very weak, very superficial. You must learn, and you must learn Gemara. Not like one man said to me, don't bother us, we're not Gemara buffs. Gemara buffs? What? Like you don't collect old coins or you don't collect stamps, you also don't learn Gemara? Gemara is not a hobby, it's our life breath. We learn Gemara because that is the air we breathe. If you don't learn Gemara, you know what you are? You're an ox. Gemara Pesachim. That's what you are without Gemara. And don't tell me about other things you learn. Moral teachings. If you don't learn Gemara, then you and your family are called behemoths. The Gemara says it. And anyone who marries your daughter, it says about him, Arur Shochev in Behema. It's important to know that. Jews always knew this. You must breathe Gemara. That's our life. And if you don't learn, so the Talmud Chacham can't even speak to you. If you're a Behema, then you don't talk the language of Torah. How could he talk to you if you're still in the stable? You're eating oats and you're braying. A Talmud Chacham will knock on the stable door and say, listen to this, so you bray. And he talks, totally different languages. I have experience in this. I've spoken to people and they don't even begin to understand what you're talking about. It's only when you become familiar with Torah ideas, at least in the Gemara, that you're able to communicate with the Torah world and appreciate and understand what they're telling you. Now, once a person understands these ideas, so the way he looks at the Am Yisrael is transformed. Because now he understands who really are the aristocrats of the Am Yisrael. And so when you see a yeshiva man, a Talmud Chochem, you know that he is the one who is closest to, to the Kodesh Kadoshim. He's closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than anyone else. And you admire him. You're impressed by him. And that's what the Gemara says. The young man of Israel will in the future emit a fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. Brochus. The time will come when the young Talmidei Chachamim, the yeshiva men, who spend their days and nights learning, will issue a sweet fragrance like the cedar trees of Lebanon. It means that one day the world will recognize the truth. The whole world will learn to look through the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu.
And everyone will see that it is the Torah learners who, who smell pleasant, that they are the ones who give off the sweetest of fragrances in this world. But we are expected to recognize that truth even today. When you see a yeshiva man, you should imagine that he smells like sweet-smelling roses. Let's say you see a group of yeshiva boys walking in the street. Now there is nothing especially attractive about them. They're all wearing the same uniform, white shirts and black pants. Nothing special. So what about it? What's so important? But if you understand this lesson of Parshas Pukudeh, so you understand that these yeshiva men are the aristocrats of our nation, because it was in, because it was in the Midbar that the Am Yisrael learned that our nation is only a Torah nation, that the lifeblood of our people, that's the lifeblood of our people. It's why we are, it's what we are. Our nation is a nation only because of the Torah. And it's those who keep pumping the blood of Torah through the veins of our nation who are keeping us alive. And therefore it's the Torah learners who are the aristocrats of our nation, the ones who meet, who, whom we admire and emulate. And the more a person is mechaber himself to the Torah, the greater of an aristocrat he is. Once you understand this, you have gained a new perspective on the Am Yisrael, and you've learned to see our nation the way Hashem sees them. Have a wonderful Shabbos.